Thank you. Stability. Can you say that with me? Stability. Say so it again. We all long for it, don't we? And it is the absolute necessity in every sphere of life, every sphere of life. Civilization depends on the stability of government. Commerce and prosperity depends on the stability of the economy and the economic system. Even ships and aircrafts use stabilizing surfaces to counteract turbulence. Parents need to provide a stable environment and home so that the children will grow up to be spiritually mature. And the list goes on. Stability. We all need it. We all need it to be able to confront some nasty changes and that comes our way and unexpected circumstances and needed to confront obstacles that arises all of us an opposition that invades our lives or encounter storms in life. We all encounter them. Often we refer to an individual and say, well, he or she is unstable. It's unstable. They're lacking of stability. And believe it or not, in the spiritual life, this is even more important. Without stability of being anchored in Christ, we can be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. We can be tossed about with every change, with every wind of change. And so this is the question that the Apostle Paul confronts in the church of Thessalonica. And if you're visiting with us, we have actually coming next message will be the last one in a short series of messages. Look up when everybody else is looking down from 2 Thessalonians. So I hope you, as preparation, that you start turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, and we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 5. Before I get there, I want to remind you of the words of our Lord Jesus Himself in Luke 21, 19. Here's what he said. He said, when you see difficulty and turmoil and persecution, he said, standing firm or having that stability, you will win life. This is his words. You win life. It is not surprising, therefore, that as you go through the epistles, that just about every one of the Apostle Paul's epistles, he uh, I was going to say harp on this issue, but he emphasizes the issue of stability, of how important it is. And, and, and you see it in, 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 in different uh, passages and different epistles. Uh, for example, you see it very clearly in one of my favorite verses. I always autograph an autograph book, and I always say 1 Corinthians 15:58, uh, uh, Ephesians 6:4, 6, 6:14. Forgive me. Uh, Colossians 1.23, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about it twice in the one epistle, in, five, uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 8, and in 5.8. The apostle Peter, 
does the same thing. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, he was talking about resisting Satan. He said, resist Satan and stand firm in the faith. Be stable in the faith. Question, do you think these apostles knew something that we need to know? <laughs> now, I know by now you've turned to the passage of 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Now, the, the church Bible, if you don't have your own, grab the church Bible. Let's see here what, what page it is. My colleague wrote it down. It's uh, page 1,843 1, in the church pew Bible. Just grab one if you don't have a Bible with you. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because from the very beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then... Brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the teaching that we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loves us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord and you that you are doing and will continue to do the things he commands. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Lord, as I often say to you in the presence of my brothers and sisters here and those who are watching around the world, that I'm incapable of explaining the Word. Only your Holy Spirit, who inspired those words to be written in your book, can take those words and apply them to our hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, those of you who were here in the last message, we saw how false teachers came into the church of Thessalonica. Immediately after Paul left, they came in as they followed him everywhere. I always say, whenever God doing great work, the devil is not far behind. In fact, Jesus talks about this in the parable. He said, you know, the, the Word of God is the seed, and, 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 and the sour went out, and so said, and what happened? The devil comes in, and he so tears. So whenever you see a work of God, 
always the devil send his people in there to try to destroy it. So these false teachers came into the church of Thessalonica to destabilize the church. He wanted to shake them up. The devil always wanted to destabilize the church of Jesus, always. And so after condemning this false teaching, after correcting this uh, troubling falsehood, after exposing the wickedness of these false teachers, the Apostle Paul immediately goes on to emphasize the absolute necessity of having biblical stability. Biblical what? Question. (laughs) How can we have stability in these turbulent times that we're living in? They are turbulent times. I understand that you have to be over 40 or 50 at least to realize how how destabilizing this time as compared to the early days. How can we take a stand when so many slick preachers, slick preachers, are abusing grace, undermining big parts of the Scripture, and shaking our confidence in the authoritative and inerrant Word of God? The first thing the Apostle Paul does here is that he assures them of his prayer for them. And don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate praying for one another. He is praying specifically for their spiritual stability. He is praying for them to take a stand, to take a firm stand on biblical teaching. Now, beloved, In times of lawlessness, anarchy, terror, and unrestrained evil, believers will need God's supernatural strength more than ever. They need God-given stability in order to stand firm and look up. So look at verse 13 with me, please. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, Loved of the Lord. Now, don't miss this, okay? Why ought he pray to God for them? Because they're very nice people. Hello? Because they are tolerant and affirming of alternate lifestyles. Because they are fitting very well with their pagan neighbors because they have mastered the art of compromise. Go along to get along. No. 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 He prayed for them. Because God, from the very beginning, chose them and saved them through the sanctifying work of the Spirit through believing the truth. Are you with me? Make no mistake about it. The world is going to applaud any and everyone who is going to compromise. Any and everyone who compromise their faith just a little bit. Everyone who waters down the gospel so it can be palatable for the non-believers. 
but Jesus will reward you if you hold fast in the truth of the gospel. God will protect you through the storms. God will guide you through the turbulence times of persecution. God will steady you and stabilize you during the time of testing. God will be your fortress. God will be your strong tower when the man of lawlessness is revealed. In John chapter 6, verse 37, I tell people that you've got to memorize. If you're going to memorize one verse, you need to memorize that. But not just memorize the verse. Memorize what it means. Because nothing is going to give you confidence than knowing what Jesus said in John's gospel 6, 37. All, can you say all? All. All of those whom the Father gives me, I will lose how many? None. God bless you. Why should you be looking up? Because your heavenly daddy will never leave you, nor forsake you, and no one can take you out of his hand. Praise God. In this passage, you read how Paul is making a contrast between the redeemed and the unredeemed. The redeemed and the unredeemed. The unredeemed are those who love sin and they hate the truth and they're going to be the ones who are going to immediately be following the Antichrist when he shows his ugly head. We saw that in the last message. And therefore, God gave them up. He gave them a spirit of delusion. If you remember, I said God always gives us more of what we want. The reason the Scripture said, delight yourself in the Lord, and then He will give you the desires of your heart. We always like the desires of your heart first. No, no, no. You have to delight yourself in the Lord. And when Pharaoh hardened his heart, God said, I'll give you more of what you want. I'm going to harden your heart even further. As far as the redeemed are concerned, who hold fast unto the truth, they will share Christ's glory. Question, when did God choose you? When did God call you? Was it the first time you realized that you're a sinner? For me, that was March 4th, 1964. I recognize that I'm a sinner, I'm heading for hell, and I desperately need the Savior. Is that when He called you? Is that when He chose you? Is it when you got into your knees and invited Jesus to come into your life and be the Savior of your soul and the Lord of your life? Did He call you before you were born? Did He call you before your parents were born? Did He call you before your grandparents were born? No. He called you. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Before the foundation of the world. He looked down through history and He saw you. That's why I said these precious children. God knew them before the world began, before history began. In Ephesians 1, 4, it tells us that for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And all of God's people say, thank you, Lord. Now, I just think about this for a long time. And I, and I meditate on this on a regular basis because I'm telling you, nothing going to pull you out of whatever circumstances you're in and lift you up to, to the portals of heaven, like realizing that He loved you. He knew you, 
and He called you before history began. It is mind-boggling to me. All these years since 64, has never ceased to boggle my mind that when I was lost in sin, that when I was knee-deep in the mud of sin, when I ran away from God as far as I could, He loved me, He knew me, He called me, He chose me. And so, are you? Are you? Let me ask you this. Why would I want to offend? Why would I want to offend or disappoint such divine, eternal love? Well, how can I even contemplate that? Beloved, Christianity is not a faith of regulations. Here's do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. No, 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 no. Our faith is, is built on love, loving the one who loved us first. Why do we hate sin? Because we love Jesus. Why do we hate evil? Because we love God's church. Why we hate lying is because we love the truth. Why do we hate deception? It's because we love people. But above all, we love Him who loved us before all of the creation began. Listen to me. Do not ever forget, don't ever forget, God's grace toward you is a reflection of who He is. Are you with me? Well, I thought you'd be shouting, but that's okay. You're turning Presbyterians on me all of a sudden. <laughs> God's grace toward you is a reflection of His character, is a reflection of who He is. And He reaches down to us when our lives were hopelessly damaged with, by sin, when our hearts were stained and unfit for His holy purpose. And He cleans our stains, and He heals our spirits, and He invests His life in us, and He values us and makes us valuable to Himself. His sovereign loving and caring and calling and choosing us should do one vitally important thing. A lot of things, but one vitally important thing, and that's demolish our pride. Listen, if you come to me and said, I never struggle with pride, I, never, I have a, no problem with pride, I'll have to put you on a liar's detector's <laughs> test. It should demolish our pride. The sovereign choice ensures that He and He alone gets all of the credit for our salvation, that He and He alone is exalted, that He and He alone is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. For it is His love and holiness that made our lives stables, stable, secure, Look at verse 14. 
and He brought you to Himself through the preaching of the gospel. You know, one of the great privileges, it should be for all of us, but I know it's for me, I can testify only for me, one of the great privileges, next to my salvation, next to my salvation, one of the great privileges is to be an instrument. Sometimes I play a small role, sometimes a bigger role, but just being an instrument of bringing others to Christ. And I believe every one of us can and should. In fact, members of this church, I know you are already, most of you, and those of you who are not, get off your blessed assurance (laughs) and start witnessing for Christ. But when I think of this ministry right now is going into hundreds of millions of homes around the world, when you think about that, just think about this, and you're part of it. You're part of it. Verse 15, stand firm and hold on to this teaching which Paul already passed on to them from Jesus. You see, he learned it from Jesus. He passed it on to them. So another question, why should they stand firm? Ah, so that they might not only be stable, but they must pass the stability to others. Sure, I got a platform, so I'm passing it to many others, but you have to pass it to others. If you're home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, you can pass the stability and encourage one another. Don't miss verses 16 and 17. It's very important. God's loving, sovereign choice of you should banish. I said, should banish your pride. Something else should banish, and that's fear, anxiety, and worry. Are you with me? Are you with me? It should banish fear, worry, and anxiety out of your life. Listen to me. Let Satan do his worst. Let the man of lawlessness be revealed. Let all of hell break loose. (laughs) We will not be shaken. We will not be moved. We will not be intimidated. We will stand firm, confident in the confidence that we are held in the palms of His hands, that we are cradled in His arms, Then he who touches us touches the apple of His eye. Now, beloved, listen to me. Listen to me. There is no stability or security in our circumstances. There is no stability or security in politics and politicians. There is no stability or security in the economy. There is no stability or security in people. Oh, but our true security and stability found only in God's sovereign choice. Now, I grew up in church environment. Now, I did it. I chose God. And anybody starts talking about God, no, 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 no. If you do that, if you say that, people won't live holy lives. What a fallacy that is. I never start crying until I learn about God's sovereign choice. What an amazing teaching 
the Scripture gives us. Our security is in the fact that He looked down of all the planets of the earth onto this planet, and then from all that planet, He looked wherever you are, and He chose you before the foundation of the earth. Many of you have heard me say this, and I used to say it to the early leaders of the church. In fact, most of whom, if not all of them, are in heaven now. But they used to worry about me traveling. And, and you know, well, you can't do this. Why don't you do this? And what I now say to them, listen to me. I am secure. I'm untouchable until he says so. And so are you. So are you. Today, so many of these motivational preachers, bless their hearts, for that's all they are. <laughs> Once I learned, bless their hearts, they said, now you become a southerner. <laughs> but I really mean this, bless their hearts, in the, in the true southern way. <laughs> because of their empty affirmation. It's empty. If you believe in yourself, you can do it. If you dream it, you can achieve it. If life hands you lemon, make lemonade. Huh? You know what the problem with these slogans? The focus is you, 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 you. No wonder I met so many of their followers who are discouraged, despondent, and defeated. If the foundation of your confidence is on you, you are building on the shifting sand. But if your confidence and the foundation on the power and the might of the one who loved you, redeemed you, chose you, knew you before the foundation of the earth, then you are building on a solid rock the rock of ages. What more evidence does anyone need more than Christ's life, Christ's teaching, Christ's promises, Christ's miraculous work, Christ's identity as the only Son of God, Christ's redeeming grace on the cross, Christ's resurrection on the third day, Christ's ascension to heaven, Christ soon coming back to judge the world. Beloved, this is all the stability I need. It's all the stability I need in life. In fact, if you break the word down, now I don't know those of you experts in the English language will criticize me, but that's okay. Sometimes I break words down to help me remember. The word stability, if you break it down, is the ability to stand. The ability to stand. And who gives you that ability? The one who chose you. have the ability to stand when everyone else is crumbling. They're crumbling. How do I know that? How do I do that? Chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. By having, this is a summary, a two-way conversation. Constantly. Constantly. Two-way communication with my Redeemer. A summary of those five verses of chapter 3 is, pray for me as I pray for you. <laughs> One of the things that moves me deeply, so deeply that I can't even express it, is when I'm traveling 
different parts of the world. There'll be England, Australia, or Middle East, or whatever, even different parts of the United States, and inevitably somebody will come out and say, you know, some time ago, God laid you on my heart to pray for you and your ministry and your family every single day. I must admit to you, I fall apart. I cannot verbalize to you the impact of those words of encouragement to me. You can give me all of the wealth of the world. I wouldn't exchange it for that. In word of affirmation that God raised somebody to pray for me every day. And I know you feel the same way. And that is why verses 1 to 5, Thessalonians 3, is a great encouragement to all of us, should be. Underline it in your Bible. Paul, listen to me. He was experienced missionary. He was experienced evangelist. He was experienced preacher. He was experienced strategist. In fact, I remember a class many years ago in graduate, they were talking about Paul's strategy of how he targeted the key cities, and then from there the gospel spread. And you know, I wouldn't take anything away from him. And yet, you got to understand what he saw in his true effectiveness. His true effectiveness for Christ was not rooted in any human trait, ability, or cleverness. He saw his true effectiveness for Christ as a result of a total confidence in the power of Jesus who lived in him and in the prayers of the saints. Beloved, there's nothing wrong with praying and asking God for things. Nothing wrong. I hope you don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I'm, I'm facing a crisis and I need you. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, our loved ones need your help. There's nothing wrong with saying, my business needs your direction. Nothing wrong with that. Are you with me? But if this is the sum total of your prayer, listening to me, if this is the sum total of your prayer and your prayer life, you have stunted your spiritual growth. You may be seven foot tall, but you've stunted your spiritual growth. And that's why Jesus gives us the priority for praying. In fact, I'll be doing the Lord's Prayer come September. He gives us priority. In Matthew 6, 33, he says, here's how you should pray. This is how your priority in prayer should be. Seek first, what? Your needs, your desires, your wish list, <laughs> your dreams. No. Seek first the kingdom, his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all of these things. What are these things? Your needs, my needs. They're going to be met. They're going to be provided even before you ask because he already knows them. Your needs, your dreams, and your desires will be met before you even realize that you need these things. When your focus is his kingdom, is his righteousness, is his glory, and the honor of his name. Now, beloved, I can testify to you and I know many of you, I know many of you personally, and I know you will, do, you will testify exactly the same if you're standing here, that this truly is a promise 
that God keeps. He keeps it. He's kept it with me. The more I'm focused on Him, His kingdom, His glory, His righteousness, the less even I'm aware of my personal needs. Why? Because He already met them before I recognized they were needs. Believe it or not, Satan knows that this type of prayer is your secret to power. Power with God. And that is why he does all he can to stop you, to hinder you from praying as Jesus asked us to pray. Satan knows that this type of intimacy with God is your secret to victory, and that is why he does everything to disrupt your time of intimacy with God. Chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, Paul asks the believers in Thessalonica to pray for him. To do what? So that he might be healthy, wealthy, and happy? No. That the Word of God be preached without hindrance. He said, pray that we may be delivered from wickedness and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Now, beloved, Paul was not necessarily asking for his own safety, for his own protection, because he knew he's safe as long as God wants him here. But for the gospel advancement, for the advancement in the gospel, of the gospel. You know, one of the things that we're going to have this crusade in the heart, in the Macon Coliseum in March, I hope you're praying for that, because my colleague, Chad, who worked with the Billy Graham organization for decades, he said, for the first time ever encountered people, that many people who signed up to pray for that event. And I told him, I said, Chad, I said, if God blesses and we see, we, we know He will, it's because of these people pray. They signed up. He said, normally you don't get that many people sign up early. Beloved, God can do anything, right? But He said, I'm going to respond as a result of your prayer. Pray for the advancement of the gospel. Hear me right, please. Today, Satan wants the world to believe, listen carefully, he wants the world to believe that anyone who loves God and obeys His Word, anyone who refuses to accept sin and immorality, he now sold this to the world, sold the bill of good, that that person is a hater, is a hater. <laughs> I'm convinced when Satan has his convention in Las Vegas, I don't know where he has this convention, with his demons. You know, I'm sure they, they, they have conventions, and, he, and they're probably high-fiving each other. Man, we sold them a bill of goods. They laughed their heads off. People who are truly the most loving people on the face of the earth are called haters. Think about it for a long time. This would be like calling a cancer surgeon a hater because he hates cancer and wants to remove it. 
Verse 3, again, God is faithful, and He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Of course, all His lies. He will. He will protect you, and you, and you, and you. Verse 4, we are confident of this. Of what? In God's promises. We are confident in God's promise, and that's why we rejoice in the faithfulness of God to keep us steady, to stabilize us when the waves are too high, when He keeps us steady when the world is assailing us. He keeps us steady when we trust in His faithfulness to provide a way of escape, to shield us uh, from the scorching heat of sin and Satan, to ensure that His Word will not come back empty. He is faithful and He'll keep us from stumbling. Finally, verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. You know, some of the Reformed doctrine said the perseverance of the saints. You probably heard that. Great Reformed theology. Great. I would say it's the perseverance of God with the saints. (laughs) My perseverance would have given up a long time ago. If it wasn't for his steady hand. I want to conclude by telling you a true historic story. True historic historic story. I pray to God that he will encourage that, that story would encourage you and that you would walk out of here on cloud nine and stay there. Don't come down on Monday. Stay there. that in the time of destabilization, that will be strong and look up. It's about a great man, great man of God, who lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s. No, he was not a preacher. He was not a theologian. He was not an evangelist. He was not a Bible teacher. He was not a pastor. He was not a church at all. Are you ready for this? He was a politician. (laughs) Some of you nervous laughter, I did too. He's a politician, a member of the British Parliament. His name is William Wilberforce. He lived between 1759 and 1833. Just keep that date in mind. 1759, 1833. He was exactly my age now when he died. A lot of people know him. Some people actually don't even know him at all. But many people know him as the man who single-handedly ended up the horror of slave trading in the British Empire. But what most people do not know, most people do not know, even those who have studied Wilberforce, is how many years he persevered with the power of God and the strength of God. How many years he persevered in his God-honoring endeavor. Most people don't know how many times during those decades, decades, standing firm, 
how many times he got discouraged and, and was ready to give up. How many times? Obviously, when we read about somebody, we read all the big stuff, and I, I, I go and look for the little things that most people don't know. That encourages me. When I, started, when I was a very young Christian and read about George Mueller and all the miracles, he would pray and a miracle would happen, and I said, man, something wrong with me. And in my book, Never Give Up, the first story I tell about George Mueller praying for 40 years for five of his friends to come to Christ. See, you don't hear about the long-term answers to prayer. You always hear the quick ones. Amen. Thank you. He faced so many obstacles, so many discouragement. How many times under this relentless pressure from his own family, from his best friends, from his colleagues. Listen, most of us would not have lasted 30 days, let alone 30-plus years. One day, he was so discouraged, so deflated, so defeated, and he was ready to give up. And then that morning, he opened his Bible. I love the coincidence, don't you? I'm going to tell you. He just opened his Bible, as he'd done daily. He read the, opened his Bible. Read. But somehow this time, this time when he was the, the lower feeling lowest of the low, he opens and a piece of paper falls on the ground. So he picks it up. He picks it up and, and he starts reading it. And it was a letter that was written decades early by evangelist John Wesley to him, to William. Think about this. When it arrived, he had written it, uh, he had read it, but he forgot about it and put it in his Bible. Until that day, when he was about to give up, it falls down, he picks it up. And these were the very last words that John Wesley ever wrote longhand. The very last words. In fact, after writing those words, six days later he died. He collected every ounce of his energy on his deathbed. And the letter was dated February 24th, 1791. February 24th, 1791. Exactly six days later, John Wesley died. I visited his place in London for inspiration. I want to read to you what was in that letter that inspired William Wilberforce to keep on going, because I don't want to mess him up. Of course, it's old English. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing the execrable villainy of slavery, which is a scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and the devils. 
But if God be for you, say that with me. But if who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of His might till even American slavery shall vanish before it. That He who has guided you from youth up may continue to strengthen you in this and all things is prayer, dear sir, your affectionate servant, John Wesley. I hope I'll be writing letters six days before I go to glory. While all these words were written in 1791, it was not until 1833, I hope you're remembering those dates, that Parliament finally passed the Slavery Abolition Act and ended slave trading throughout the British Empire. Here's something else that is amazing to me. Wilberforce lived to see the accomplishment of his God-given dream, God-given purpose, God-given vision for his life. But he died three days later after hearing that Parliament passed the act. Get this. When he started to the time of that act passed Parliament, it was 46 years. Are you with me? Don't you ever give up. Don't you ever give up. 46 years before he accomplished God's purpose in his life. Think with me. I'm about to finish, but I want you to think with me. Please don't leave without thinking with me, okay? Think with me about these words of John Wesley that inspired and motivated Wilberforce to keep on standing firm. These are important words for your life and for my life. If God be with you, who can be against you? Let's say that together. If Go in the name of God and in the power of His might. He who guided you from youth will continue to be your strength. Now, beloved, the power of our Almighty God enables us to stand firm in faith as we look up to Him. The strength of God will stabilize you in the stormy days ahead. I pray to God that I'm a false prophet on this, but we have stormy days coming. Father, I don't even know how to pray, and there are many times I don't know how to pray, but I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit prays in us in those times. And so we pray right now. 
I want to pray for that discouraged brother or sister that they will see your hand afresh, that they'll be encouraged afresh, that they'll be lifted up knowing who you are. Because, Father, we know it's not the church, it's not the preacher, it's not the activities, it's not the program. It is you, Lord Jesus. Encourage the faint-hearted. Strengthen the shaking needs, knees. And, Father, humble the arrogant and the haughty and the prideful that together we'd be lifted up in the days to come, encouraging one another. For we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Thanks, Jeremy.